0: Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of The Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. This is also a Facebook Live reading group. We've been reading Delight, the Discipleship as the Adventure of Loving and Being Loved. This is Season 4, Episode 18 of The Next Step Podcast. Well, it was quite a windy weekend here at Lake Chemung. uh, We had whitecaps on the lake. The We've got a paddle board that was up on a swim dock that's been pulled up on the beach and the wind blew the paddleboard halfway across the yard. So we've got to secure that a little bit more uh, semi-permanently for the winter. We even had some graupel. Do you know what graupel is? We had some graupel this weekend. It's also called uh, soft hail or snow pellets. It's some cross between hail and snow. So it graupeled at Lake Chemung this last weekend. Uh, Happy November, right? Happy Reformation. Happy All Saints Day. Uh, Aunt Elva is still in the hospital today. She went to the hospital over the weekend. She's trying to get some AFib under control. Aunt Elva, we're thinking of you and uh, rooting for you. Don't give up. Keep, Keep pressing forward. And my daughter Liz, 17-year-old Liz, had her first uh, job interview today. She drove herself with her brand-new driver's license, drove herself down to Panera Bread, and uh, was interviewed and got a job as a cashier at Panera. So now we've got to figure out when we get to go buy broccoli cheddar soup and bug Liz behind the counter, so that'll be fun. Uh, If you're in the Panera Bread Company there at Panera, Let's see, U.S. That's ninety six and Latson Road. Make sure you stop in and say hi to Liz Rosso behind, behind the counter. Uh, other exciting news today. Today we launched uh, the the latest hymn journal from Next Step Press. It's called Light in the Darkness, a hymn journal for Advent and Christmas that just went live today, so very excited about that. I put a link in the description, check it out. Uh, As we've done with other hymn journals, there will be a Facebook pop-up group that you can be a part of. You can share your artwork, learn from other people, kind of stay connected as we walk through Advent and Christmas all the way to Epiphany. There'll be podcasts related to that content and uh, some special music from a very talented singer, Brooke Orozco, who just happens to be my sister. So there's some special music from her in the Hymn Journal. There's some traditional hymns and carols that you love and know. Uh, Check it out. It's, It's a really neat resource and you can order yours today on Amazon. Really excited about that. But that's not the book we're reading today. Today we're still with Delight, and we have been, now for the last couple of sessions, in chapter 10, God shapes your adventure. Remember, even as you respond to God's delight by working, delighting in God's will, and walking in God's ways, that brings a kind of delight. But even then, you're not kind of on your own, but God is working in you and through you. So God doesn't stop acting when you begin to participate. Uh, God's working in you as you engage in this life of discipleship, this adventure of following Jesus. So we're picking up today on page 200 God delights in your rest. We talked about how God delights in your being passive and receiving from Him, God delights in your dependence, and how God also delights in your active engagement, like your paddling furiously on a kayak on a whitewater river ride so those both those realities are true and today having paddled furiously for a little while we get to hear the calming word God delights in your rest <clears throat> God delights to shape you which is good news since you don't have the skill to design and shape a beautiful and useful masterpiece out of your own life and God delights in your full engagement in the process of being shaped. Followers of Jesus don't float down the lazy river of life going in a slow circle that leads nowhere. No, the river of God's grace has you on the adventure of your life. Buckle up and start paddling. God is in control of your journey and destination, but you get to be a fully engaged, whole person, all-in explorer on this journey of faith. That active engagement is intended as a delightful gift from your Heavenly Father. And, like all delightful gifts in a fallen world, that active engagement can become a burden. We don't just have an I-did-it-my-way culture, we have a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately culture. In that kind of performance-driven environment, it's easy to start out excited to grab a paddle and get actively engaged in your life of faith, and then to get pretty exhausted pretty quick. When we get tired, we tend to just try harder. (laughs) The Spirit's work in us fades into the background as our effort and our productivity begin to take center stage. Trying harder to be shaped by God just doesn't work. So we paddle faster and faster, hoping the current will pick up any minute. After all, we aren't on a lazy river ride. If you can't see any progress, you better better paddle a little faster. The less you feel like you're moving, the more you feel like you have to try harder until following Jesus is like paddling upriver, towing a sack of rocks. You can do it! Just paddle harder! You exhausted yet? The gift of being actively engaged in the adventure of faith is not supposed to be a burden of maximizing your own potential. This is certainly no lazy river ride. Fully engaged discipleship is not for the faint of heart. Yet, if the river is in charge of the process as well as the destination, then you should expect some quiet pools or still waters right along with the exhilarating rapids. Rest and refreshment are part of the journey. You are supposed to enjoy the ride. In a culture that makes an idol out of personal production, it's easy to turn even the work of discipleship into a burden. A scriptural perspective on growth includes both work and rest. See the opening verses of Psalm 127 as an example. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for the Lord gives to his beloved sleep. Has anxiety ever kept you from falling asleep? Has your task list ever startled you awake in the middle of the night? Do you ever get to the end of a long day with more to do than when you started? Yeah, me too. Psalm 127 puts our work in the proper relationship with God's work. Because the Spirit is working in you both to will, it's desirable delight, And do that which is pleasing, that's thoughtful delight, to God, you work under the umbrella of God's work. If the Lord is building the house, your labor to build the house is not in vain. If the Lord is watching the city, those who watch are working the night shift for good reason. They are participating in the ongoing work of God in the world. Notice how the anxiety that drives your day from early morning emails to late night meetings just doesn't have a place in this rhythm of grace. Just as God gives the gift of work, God gives the gift of sleep. You receive the gift of rest because God loves you. The rhythm of rest and work establishes an ongoing dependence on God and an ongoing participation in the Spirit's work. You get to be actively engaged and soaking wet on this whitewater discipleship adventure, and precisely because you are not in control, the river gets to show you quiet, refreshing pools as well as exhilarating rapids. Without the one, the other becomes a burden. Both work and rest can become idols. Dependence on Jesus means receiving both work and rest as a gift. You can see the delightful rhythm of rest and work in the teachings of Jesus, especially when he uses images from agricultural or home life. The kingdom of God is like some guy who plants a seed. The farmer can't work to make it grow. While he is sleeping, God produces abundant crops. The kingdom of God is like some woman who adds leaven to her dough. Yes, she combines the right ingredients and kneads the dough, but the real work takes place when she lets the dough rest. That's when growth and abundance can happen. Both of those images are found in Luke thirteen eighteen to 20 a more familiar image may be the vine and branches in John chapter 15. You know how the teaching goes. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That captures God's work in our work. Or perhaps better to say that captures our work in God's work. But what do you remember? But do you remember what comes next? I am the vine My father is the vine dresser. Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts off. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it can be even more fruitful. Whoa! Hold on a second. You can't bear fruit or be productive in the kingdom unless you're connected to Jesus. Okay, I've got that. You don't work hard at producing fruit. Fruit is a natural result of being connected to the vine. Okay, I don't like it. I just want to try harder to pop out a few more grapes, but I guess I get it. My work on my own is not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants his work in me and the fruit that comes from dependence on him. Fine. I'd rather be in control, but I'm coming to understand that me being in control is the worst possible outcome for my faith life. Okay, fine, Jesus. Have it your way. But then, Jesus goes so far as to say that when I do produce fruit, even then I don't get a blue ribbon. I get the pruning knife instead. Say what? If you have ever tended roses or cut back raspberry bushes or deadheaded flowers or pinched suckers off of tomato plants, you know what Jesus is talking about. Bearing fruit comes after a long, dependent process of growth. But it's not the end of the process. You cut back the vines so it produces more fruit. You trim the rose bush so it will flower again. You let the field lie fallow so that its yield can increase. Times of producing fruit in your life are balanced by times of rest and inactivity. Healthy pruning belongs to the process of bearing fruit. Good work includes good rest. Pouring out demands... Pouring, uh, pouring out demands receiving... You see that delightful rhythm of rest and work, receiving and pouring out, not just in the teachings, but in the life of Jesus. Before he chooses the twelve disciples, Jesus spends alone time with the Father and the Spirit in prayer. In the midst of his active preaching and teaching, Jesus tells the disciples, come away with me to a quiet place to get some rest. They don't actually get to rest at that point because 5,000 plus people crash the retreat center and Jesus has compassion on the crowds. After he feeds those 5,000 plus, Jesus sends the crowds away so he can recharge in solitude and prayer. Not long after, the transfiguration occurs on a mountain where Jesus had taken three of his closest friends for some alone time. Not for a vacation exactly, but for rest and spiritual renewal. In fact, Luke tells us Jesus was in the act of praying when he was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. And of course, on the night he was betrayed, preparing for arrest and torture and humiliation and death, Jesus spends extended time in the seclusion of the Garden of Gethsemane for the purpose of prayer. One of my favorite moments of rest in the life of Jesus comes in the midst of a storm. You remember the story. Jesus is asleep on a cushion in a boat when a sudden storm gets so violent that even career fishermen are shaking from fear, but Jesus sleeps on. The disciples, out of their minds with terror, finally wake Jesus up with cries of, Don't you care if we drown? At which point Jesus calls the winds and waves to heal, and the resulting calm strikes new terror in the hearts of these fishermen. Who but God can calm the storm? Who is this Jesus, really? I've heard this story used to show Jesus was fully human and exhausted, and rightly so. I've heard this story used to show that Jesus was fully divine, commanding the storm, and rightly so. But don't miss this point. Sleep is fundamentally an act of trust. Jesus is actively entrusting his life and his situation to his heavenly Father. The obedient son could sleep securely in the midst of the storm because Jesus knows and trusts the one who holds the power of the wind and waves. Jesus not only puts himself under the authority of the Father in his ministry, Jesus trusts the authority of the Father with his life. When Jesus does finally wake up, his response is not, Whoa, look at that storm! You should have called me sooner! Instead, in the midst of that fearful gale, Jesus asks, asks the disciples, Where is your faith? Faith enables sleep even while the storm rages. Jesus was simply putting into practice the attitude of the heart expressed in Psalm 4, verse 8: In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Sleep is a gift from God, sleep is an act of trust. You can sleep securely, like Jesus in the storm, because your Heavenly Father is still in control even when you are not. In fact, part of your work in the Spirit is rest in the Spirit. The Father prunes even the fruitful branch. Living in dependence on Jesus means experiencing both moments of productivity and moments of repose. You might plant or water, but God gives the growth. You might knead that leaven into the dough like a potter needs the clay, but you've got to let it rest. Part of the faithful work of followers of Jesus is refusing to let work or rest become idols that demand all of your attention and time. In Jesus, you work and rest both to the glory and and increasing delight of the God who is in charge of seed time and harvest, night and day, labor and sleep. God delights in your work, and God delights in your rest. Both work and rest belong to the adventure of following Jesus. The next section is called God Delights in Your Play. God delights in your work. God delights in your rest. A third experience, somewhere between work and rest, also puts a smile on God's face. Play involves active engagement, like work, and results in rejuvenation and refreshment, like rest. From the beginning of creation to the restoration of creation, your God delights in play. We met playful delight back in chapter three. The Hebrew word Sha can refer to anything that makes you go wee. It also refers to the species of joy you experience as you engage God's Word. We'll come to that. We'll come back to that in chapter eleven. Psalm 119 describes the fun you have exploring God's Word. But that's not the only place we see playful delight in the story of Scripture. Sha'ah is Hebrew for sport, take the light in, or play. You remember the opening of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus says, uh, John says, Jesus is the Word made flesh who took up residence among us, who tabernacled among us. <clears throat> the passage is clear. Jesus says the Word was present even from before the very beginning of creation. As God spoke the universe into existence, the word was right there, actively participating. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's John 1, 3. Jesus, as God's active word, has been actively at work from the very beginning. Paul would later write, in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, By him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus was present and active from the beginning of creation, and that's where the fun begins. In the last chapter, we already saw how one way of reading the hymn in Revelation four gets at the salsa party of creation. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and glory and power, for thou hast created all things, f- and for thy pleasure, thelema. They were and they are and were created. That's the King James version. One reason why I think the King James gets this verse right is because of a similar passage in the Old Testament in the Old Testament Wisdom book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings from the perspective of someone who knows and fears God and also knows the ways of the world. One of the key features of the book is Lady Wisdom, the personification of one central aspect of God's character. It's not exactly clear all the time how poetic the language is or how we're supposed to relate Lady Wisdom to God or to God's Spirit or to God's Word, but Proverbs says enough about Lady Wisdom to invite us to keep her as a clear and unique feature of who God is and and what God is about. Proverbs 8 hangs together with John 1 and Colossians 1 to give us a beautiful mosaic of Lady Wisdom with God, Creator, Spirit, and Redeemer at work, and at play from the dawn of creation. And this is from Proverbs 8, verses 27 to 31. It's wisdom talking in those verses. When God established the heavens, I, wisdom, was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the sky, above, When he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, Shaa, play, playful delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting, Sha'a in the children of man. The maker of heaven and earth is experiencing playful delight in this personification of wisdom. The creator delights in Lady Wisdom. And Lady Wisdom is rejoicing, a new playful delight, word in Hebrew, in the presence of the creator. Lady Wisdom also rejoices, or takes playful delight, in the inhabitants of creation. Cue the salsa music. And even knows the playful delight of spending time with Adam and Eve. I love the thought of Lady Wisdom throwing a garden party in Eden. What a playful delight! That same rejoicing with playful delight vocabulary word shows up again in the Old Testament, this time in the promise of the new creation. As Zechariah images the restoration of Jerusalem and the whole world at the coming of the day of Yahweh, this detail makes me want to throw back my head and sing for joy. From Zechariah 8, verses 3 and 5, This is what the Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. One mark of the restoration of creation, boys and girls will be laughing and playing and just having fun. They'll be dancing, dancing in the street. Rejoicing with playful delight is the new status quo of the new creation. I think God had fun in the process of creation I think Jesus had fun with his disciples. I think the Spirit thought Pentecost was just plain awesome. You serve a God who made the blue whale as well as the platypus. You have a Savior who turned gallons and gallons and gallons of water designed for following strict religious rules into more of the best wine that can be drunk in a month full of weddings. You have received the Spirit who wouldn't let Paul go to Asia just so he could meet a woman from Thyatira and then opened Lydia's heart to the message of salvation. Play, like rest, is an act of trust. Trust that God is in control and your ongoing work is not necessary to keep the planet spinning. God likes play. God created play. God loves it when you play, in part because you can't be worried about everything else if you're enjoying God's good gifts with delight. As human beings, as a human being, you were created in the image of God. You therefore have a calling to image God to the rest of creation. You certainly do that in your work and labor as a steward of God's creation and you also image God in your play as you delight in God's creation. When you receive them with delight, when you receive them with delight and in dependence on Jesus, your rest, your work, and your play all move you into a deeper relationship with God, your creator, redeemer, and sustainer. And that makes God rejoice. With playful delight. I think, I think, I think. I think it's 727 and I think we've gotten a couple pages. I think we, I think we can do this really fast. This is, this is short. Uh, Next section is called wear your helmet and go have fun. Uh, I rode my bike a lot when I was a kid. I still remember the steel blue frame and the black banana seat and the shiny chrome. You could do some pretty amazing stunts on that bike. And we did. We raced on dirt tracks and popped wheelies on every curb and climbed every incline no matter how small and tore across trails to go cross-country to Dino Bite Donut Shop where you could sit in that cool, sweet-smelling air and pump quarters into Centipede or Pac-Man. Ah, the good old days. I don't think I even saw a bicycle helmet until I had kids of my own. But we still had safety rules. The kids had full reign of the trails and tracks in the backyard, and our neighbors had a drive had a driveway right next to had driveways right next to each other that made an awesome race course, but you never, ever, ever rode your bike out onto West Court Street. The speed limit there was 55 miles per hour, and back in the 80s, Sammy Hagar wasn't the only one who couldn't drive 55. That street was not safe for kids on bikes. And we still managed to have all kinds of fun and scrape some knees and lose some teeth. I didn't think about safety rules nearly as much as a kid as I did once I had kids of my own. Suddenly, helmets and knee pads and elbow pads and shin guards and mouth guards and miniature suits of armor all became very interesting to me parenting taught me a lot about the relationship between risk management safety and delight depending on how you were parented or how you parent you have also had a different you you have also had different experiences with risk management and delight Perhaps you can imagine the parent who bundles their kid up in so much protective equipment the poor child can hardly pedal their trike around the cul-de-sac. Or perhaps you can imagine the parent whose disinterest results in their kid playing in the busy street. My guess is you're somewhere in between. But where exactly? And how do you make that call? We've been talking about delight and being fully engaged in the adventure of discipleship and we've been talking about rest as well as play and how much fun it actually is to follow Jesus and there is some danger here, but I want to capture your heart but I want to but I want to capture the heart of the kid who loves riding that bike on one wheel uphill and down even without a helmet and who also knows you don't ride your bike into traffic. I want to be aware of the danger, but not let the danger hinder the delight. I want you to know that playing in traffic is really dangerous. You can even get killed. But I don't want you looking over your shoulder all the time to make sure you're following all the rules, because the fear of failure sucks joy. If you have to get every detail of riding your bike right, or else, you will never find delight in riding your bike. So I want you to know, you are going to mess up. You're going to get the balance of rest and work and play wrong more often than you get it right. You're going to scrape your knee or fly over the curb into the bushes or get stuck in a pileup with other kids and their bikes in a tight corner. You might even lose a tooth or break an arm. Stay out of the traffic and go have fun. Any fun worth having involves some risk. Discipleship is no different. When you fall down, get back up, dust off, and get back in the saddle seat. Sometimes you might need a band-aid or some comfort from mom, but don't let the fear of getting it wrong prevent you from flying down the hill at top speed. And stay out of the traffic. To know where the danger lies, you you need to know what the busy road looks like. Of course, you could fall down and skin your knee at any time, but try to avoid playing in the traffic on purpose. The danger in rest, work, or play stems from a natural human inclination. Even in the Garden of Eden, we humans have a tendency to focus on the gift at expense of the giver. Rest, work, and play are no different. And that's where we're going to stop tonight, because that's going to lead us right into the section called Jesus near you and formed in you. So you've got that idea of stay out of the traffic, but go have fun. And we want to hold on to that as we look at rest, work, and play as idols, and then talk about Jesus near you and formed in you tomorrow night. Wonderful. Hey, go check out that link to the, uh, to the not ponder new. That was the last one. The, the Light in the Darkness Advent Hymn Journal. We'd love for you to be a part of that as well. That, uh, that Facebook group is going to start almost right after this, this uh, Facebook Live reading is going to be done. So join us for that and join us tomorrow night. Check out the Patreon link if you haven't done that yet. And thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time at Next Step Press.